thank you so much. Friends, if we haven't met, my name is Adam, and it's my joy to be one of the pastors here. And I'm so glad to be in God's presence together. Last October, my wife Sarah did something a little out of character for her. Uh, she surprised me with tickets to Pitbull at Starlight Theater. Now, if, you don't, if you're uninitiated, it's fine. Uh, Pitbull is a musical artist. And I can't tell if this will make you respect me more or less as a pastor. But I don't want to know. Don't, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Here's the thing. Pitbull had a band in the background, a little, little bit of a band, some dancers, but they weren't the main thing. Mostly for over two hours, it was just Pitbull. Just, just we were all captive. We all paid money to see Pitbull. You got to have some major charisma to hold people's attention for multiple hours. I aim for like 22 minutes. Okay, you, I mean, you got to be really good. We were just, we couldn't get enough. Mr. Worldwide, like we just, we loved it. It was great. Just charisma, so much of it. I asked my, my Facebook fam, uh, what were some people they consider to be charismatic? And these were some of the answers I got back. Oprah, Justin Timberlake, Matthew McConaughey, Chris Pratt, Beyonce, and Dolly Parton were some of the major vote-getters. The list could be a long one. I wonder who, in your mind, is a charismatic person. And I wonder what qualities make you think, oh, they have a ton of charisma. When I posted that question online, there was a couple common threads. Uh, people talked about the ability to command a room. Or the passion that someone speaks with. A lot of people even mentioned, I mean, the actual tonality of someone's voice, like the Morgan Freeman effect, right? Their, their just voice draws you in. People's charisma can, can endear us to them to the point of loyalty, to the point where we'll pay money to go see them at Starlight, or we'll buy their book, or we'll tune into their show, or, or their podcast, or we give them our time, because charisma can be a powerful force. German sociologist Max Weber, my sociology teacher in 10th grade, would be, would be <laughs> pr proud of my pronunciation. Max Weber wrote, wrote, the, uh, <clears throat> Max Weber wrote theories about political leadership. And, and he really helped crystallize what I think we've seen to be true. He described what he called the charismatic leader and this is someone, Max, not a real chipper guy, by the way. That's kind of mean. But this is someone, the charismatic leader, who comes into prominent authority, not based on their military record or prior governance, like holding other offices, but purely from their natural gifts. This is what he said. That the charismatic leader comes into power by virtue of which he is set apart from other men and treated as endowed with supernatural, superhuman, or at least specifically exceptional powers or qualities. Just coming into prominence due to almost completely force of personality because of their charisma, because of their great giftedness. The Greek word for gift is charisma. And so it was Max Weber that started to kind of give shape to how we typically use that word in our culture 
Uh, he wrote that in 1922. The gift of leadership, charisma. Now, later in the 20th century, charisma kind of came to be synonymous with personal charm or, or someone who could kind of endear themselves to you. But to arrive at a biblical understanding of charisma, we need to go back a lot longer than 1922, but all the way back to the first century when the New Testament was written, thousands of years ago. What I hope we'll discover together as we study God's word is the desire to use your gifts to glorify the giver. In this series called Words of Life, we've been taking these, these recurring words that we find in scripture and understanding what they reveal about God's character. So today we're gonna talk about the gift of God, charisma. In Greek, charisma is a sign, it's a gift as a sign of favor. That's the sense of the word. It's used 17 times in the New Testament. And in the biggest chunk here is um, from 2 Corinthians. So it's charisma is used in Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, 1 and 2 Timothy in the book of Peter. And it occurs most often in 1 Corinthians, seven times. We're going to be looking at several of these examples from the New Testament today. And so we're going to look at a few of these and to kind of help us understand the, this concept of charisma, I want to quote William Barclay. He's one of my favorite authors. He's a Scottish biblical scholar. He taught at the University of Edinburgh. This is how he defined charisma as used in the New Testament, this Greek word for gift. The whole basic idea of the word is that of a free and undeserved gift, of something given to someone unearned and unmerited, something which comes from God's grace and which could never have been achieved or attained or possessed by someone's own effort. So that's the mark of charisma. That's the mark of God's gift, is that it's offered without condition. This is hard for us to wrap our minds around. We touched on this two weeks ago. That doesn't work with us because that's not how our world works. My grandma's name was Betsy. Uh, we named our daughter after her. And my grandma Betsy had this, I guess, tradition, we would call it, this, this, this stance that anytime we came to visit her, we, had to, we of course, would leave with the gift. No, no negotiation. Now, when you're seven or eight years old, and you make the pilgrimage to Walmart in Kirksville with grandma. I mean, what's better than that? Because uh, there was no Walmart in Edina in northeast rural Missouri where my family's from. And so, man, I'd, I'd give a lot to go back to, uh, to the Kirksville Walmart with grandma. And then as you got a little older, 16, 17, it's like, grandma, you don't, you don't need to get me anything. But she insisted. And she wanted to give us a gift, not because we got good grades, not because it was our birthday, not because it was a holiday, just because grandma loved us, you know? And uh, it was a simple sign of love. And I think that is a, is a taste or a, a, a small sample of the charisma of God, the unconditional love of God, the gift God gives us. It's at the heart of the good news. In Romans 6, 23, we read, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift, the charisma of God, is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. 
So this verse, Hall of Fame Bible verse, Romans 6.23, it showcases kind of the contrast between two concepts very clearly, kind of the way of the world and, and the way of the Lord. Again, William Barclay says this about Romans 6.23. Sometimes I come across stuff in preparation and think, well, I can't say it any better than that. So I just read it to you. The two words are contrasted with each other. The wages of sin is death. The word used is upsonia, which literally means money to buy cooked meat. And that's the regular word for a soldier's pay. That is to say, if we had got the pay we earned, it would have been death. The gift of God is eternal life. The word is charisma. Now, charisma is also a military word. When an emperor came to the throne or when he was celebrating his birthday, he gave his troops a donavitum or charisma, which was a free grant of money, a free gift. They had not earned it as they had their upsonia, their wages, their soldiers' pay. They got it unearned out of the goodness of the emperor's heart. That's the picture of the gift of God, the charisma of God. Think of all the things you receive only if you meet certain requirements. Your grades, your test scores, your salary, a promotion, a scholarship, an entrance into certain colleges, favorable interest rates, all these are earned. I just spent a week traveling to and from Florida. The entire airline industry is based on you getting early access to things if you meet the requirements by paying more money. Right? You can get on the plane first if you pay a little more money. You can go through the security line quicker if you pay 100 bucks for clear. You seen the signs for that? Just go on through, meet the requirements, pay the money. Let me tell you, that's how Disney works too. You can pay a little money, get you a fast pass, get the lightning lane, which I resented immensely when it wasn't me, and I loved it when it was. <laughs> that's how that works, right? We know how that goes, right? Even Casey's rewards. You got to spend money to earn the rewards at our beloved dual Casey's. That's how the world works. If you, want, if you want to get rewarded, you have to meet the requirements. But friends, the gift of God is different. We don't have to meet requirements to be offered God's gift of eternal life. But we do live in response to it. And this is a subtle but key distinction. That we don't earn God's gift but we live in response to it. That's, that's like the bedrock foundation of Methodism and of a lot of, a lot of Christianity. So this is the first sense of charisma in the New Testament, the free gift of God of eternal life. Now beyond this general gift offered to all people, there's also a sense that God's charisma can be found in gifts offered in service to the church. There's a, there's a flavor of practicality of God's gift. It, it can be used, it can be employed, it can be experienced and enacted. So we live in response to God's gifts by using our gifts to glorify the giver. Later in the book of Romans we read, in his grace, God has given us different gifts, different charismas, for doing certain things well. And, and, and the other mark of God's gifts is they're not all the same. That, that, that they, there's a variety, that they differ. And this is by God's design. 
In this chapter, Paul lists several gifts, prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, generosity, leadership, and kindness. This is one of several places that different gifts are used. Remember we said that charisma was used most often in the book of 1 Corinthians. And so it's there I wanna turn now and kind of zoom in on the same concept. In chapter 12, verses four through six, we read there are different kinds of gifts, different charismas, but the same spirit distributes them all. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So what follows is another sampling and description of gifts that Paul lists, the author of this letter. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, discernment, speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues. Now, I do want to hone in on this for a moment. Um, you may have a faith background or experienced uh, a style of worship or a church that was described as charismatic. Anybody ever heard that term? Well, that's a charismatic church. Well, now you know why. Because they place an emphasis on the charisma of speaking in tongues. It doesn't mean the pastor or the staff or someone's like an entertainer. A charismatic church means an emphasis on the speaking of and or interpretation of tongues. Now, this is not something I've ever directly experienced myself, but I would never delegitimize those that do. Now, where I tend to disagree with some folks is that there's streams of Christianity that would say, unless you display this certain gift of speaking in tongues, then you have not fully experienced God's spirit. Now, my counter to that would be the whole point of this verse we just looked at. The whole point of the passage is that there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them all. Argument solved. That was like a minute and a half. That's pretty good. Right? So, so charismatic worship, great. But not to the exclusion of other gifts working, as I think is clearly demonstrated in this chapter. So later on in 1 Corinthians 12, we read, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part in it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. And, and now what we have is like this rapid-fire list of rhetorical questions. This is a, this is a method, a, a, a way of rhetoric that's enforcing Paul's point pretty strongly, but kind of on the sly. He says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Boom, boom, boom. The point being, the gifts are distributed differently. In Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, we see two major descriptions of gifts that God has given to people to build up the church. And they are intentionally varied by God's design. That to me is good news. That God hasn't made us all the same. We have different gifts for doing certain things well. Now beyond the gift of eternal life, which is available to all people, and beyond gifts to build up the church, there's also a sense in the New Testament where charisma, God's gift, kind of speaks to natural endowments, gifts given for wide use in the world. Each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. And in 1 Peter, we see that God's charisma isn't just for our eternal benefit or for building up the church, but for everyone. 
each of you, we read, should use whatever gift, whatever charisma you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. See, old Max Weber had it wrong. Charisma is not for personal gain or to consolidate political power. The gift of God is to be used in service to others. And the good news is that that can look a lot of different ways. I don't know if you've ever considered your life's work, whatever that looks like, being in ministry, but I'm here to tell you, it is. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. See, I have a conviction that whenever we use our gifts, whatever those look like to serve others, that's ministry. I hope you hear me say this a hundred different times. You don't have to be a pastor to be in ministry. I want to, Mitch, I want to get us some t-shirts that say that. Thumbs up from the back. You don't have to be a pastor to be in ministry. All you have to be is a faithful steward of the gifts you've been given. And sometimes, I don't know if you've ever experienced this or if you'll admit to it, because I think we all do. We kind of get a little gift envy going on. Well, maybe I wish I was more like, I wish I could do this. My wife has an amazing voice. I would give anything to sing, like the male equivalent of my wife, Sarah. That's just not, that's not me. I'd give anything to be able to play like Lori. I, I, I'm sorry I skipped you in first service, by the way. I just bowled on up here. So I will apologize publicly. I was going to do, do, tell you that after the service. Right? Sometimes we take a look at others or what others have, and we think about more about what we're lacking than the gifts God has given us. And that's backwards. So I want to put this very plainly. Don't worry about this or that person's gifts, his or her gifts. We just need to worry about what we've been given and using that gift to its full potential. That's what God asks of us. And I want to tell you about some folks that I look up to that do just that. This is my friend Greg. We were in a small group together earlier this year. And Greg plays in our band at the 930, our modern service. He's an excellent musician, both as a bass player and a guitarist. He also plays in the Michael Neal Band. You may have heard that they played a big gig here in Kearney last night. And so Greg's ministry as a musician is amazing. And when he plays here, he's just volunteering his gifts. He's using them to serve the church. But Greg's ministry goes far beyond playing music here. Greg's also an electrician. And Greg is working on the new airport, which we desperately need. Amen. (laughs) Now, when Greg uses his gifts to serve others... That's his ministry. See, Greg's on the case, making sure the electricity at the new airport is safe for people to use it. And when we think of it this way, Greg's ministry of being an electrician, I mean, how many people will come through that new airport even in 10 years? It's not an exaggeration to say millions. Greg's ministry will touch millions of lives. That's more than I'll ever be able to say. But we don't always think of it like that. I'm grateful that he uses his gifts to serve others in his ministry of electricity. 
That sounds pretty catchy. I'm grateful for Greg's charisma. I also wanted to tell you about my friend Kelly. She helped me get my first pair of prescription sunglasses. And man, I look so cool. <laughs> Kelly's an optometrist here in town. So I want to give a shout out to Carney Eye Care. I don't know why someone would go anywhere else. In addition to Kelly and her passion uh, for helping others grow and develop, she hosts book clubs and all sorts of things. She also takes excellent care of her patients as an optometrist. Kelly and I have joked, we kind of share a special bond that both as a pastor and an optometrist, we have this phenomenon happen where when we see people kind of out and about, they will apologize to us for it being so long since they've seen us. <laughs> and so we laugh about that. But seriously, how long is the list of people in your life who get two inches from your face? That's not a long list, I'm guessing. It's a pretty special position to stare into someone's retinas, right? We don't just have anyone do that. It's a special relationship. When you go see Dr. Kelly, she's not moving you in and out of there as fast as she can. No way. She takes her time. She wants to make sure you have all your questions or concerns addressed. You understand everything going on. She, t she takes time with you. She's so thorough and so kind. I had an issue with an eye about a year ago. She even texted me like the next day to see how I was doing. Kelly, Dr. Kelly uses her many gifts to serve people well. Her ministry is optometry, and I am so grateful for her charisma. Now, I get permission to do all this, by the way. We read in 1 Peter 4, each of you should use whatever gift, whatever charisma you have received to serve others, then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. Friends, that's our aim, to use our gifts to glorify the giver. I don't know if you consider your life's work uh, as an administrative professional or as a teacher, a retired principal, a coach, a scientist. I don't know if a grandma or grandpa. I don't know if you see that as ministry. I'm here to tell you it is. When we use our gifts to serve others, that's ministry. And so we don't just glorify God whenever we come to worship for an hour on Sundays. We can glorify God anytime we use our charisma, our God-given gifts well. Jesus said, I do not give as the world gives. God's gift of eternal life is the only thing in the world that you can't do anything to earn. That's the good news. Then our lives can be lived out being freed from the crushing pressure of meeting requirements. And instead, we can respond as our communion liturgy says, we are freed for joyful obedience. That we can respond to God's gift out of love, not obligation. Because we want to, not because we're forced to. We can live in response to the gifts that God has lovingly offered us without condition. Then we can use those gifts to build up the church and to serve the world as we use our gifts to glorify the giver. You may have not thought so before today, but friends, I'm here to tell you, you have a lot of charisma. And everybody said, amen. amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today, for the chance to be together.
and to be reminded that every good and perfect gift comes from you, as your word tells us. God, we pause here in your presence to be in this sanctuary, this shelter from all the turmoil in the world. And we do our best to put down and put away all the things that weigh us down and trouble us and are on our minds. And would you impress upon us the ability to perceive the innumerable gifts that we can experience from you every day. God, sometimes we grow accustomed to them or our appreciation for them wanes. We might even be oblivious sometimes. God, help us to not take for granted the many gifts that you freely give us each and every day. God, for all this and more, we give you thanks. Above all, for the great gift of your son, Jesus Christ, for his life, his teachings, his death, and his resurrection. Thank you for the gift of faith, hope, and love that is contained in your gospel, your good news. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.